One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, a goodly afternoon to you. A goodly birthday afternoon, no less, Andrew. Yeah, it is. It's my birthday. Happy um, birthday. Thank from you. From me and all the listeners. We all had a meeting. Oh, yeah. And we decided um, that rather than send you gifts, just me saying happy birthday to you on behalf of us all was the most heartfelt and touching way to pay tribute to you. I agree. I agree. That's all I need. That's all I need. Material yeah. things pff, don't mean... They a, mean nothing to you now. mean nothing. It's all um, about the love and all about the yeah the, the good wishes and everything else. So thank you, everybody. I have had lots of messages today on, on Twitter and uh, Instagram and stuff like that. So thank you very much indeed to everybody. Um, yeah, I don't know. You get to a certain point, your birthdays are just a bit like... It's another birthday. That's another year. But I did have a good weekend. Yeah? Yeah, I was out on Friday night uh, in Dublin town, Dublin city centre. It was culture night. And I met your one cousin. One night of the year. Yeah, we have Dublin one night of the year. Allowed culture. culture. But I met your cousin. Oh, who was on his stag do. Who was on his stag do. Now, before I went anywhere near them, I, I made sure that they were not... I wondered if they'd get a stripper. <laughs> Damn it. There's the punchline of that one gone already. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. No, I was I was making sure that they didn't uh, have him dressed up in like a bad costume because, um, you know, things have died down a bit on the old stag party, hen party thing, you know, over the last couple of yeah, years because of COVID and everything else. And I knew that we had returned to something in, in inverted commas called normality when last week I saw, um, and I, you know, I love my English friends, but it could only be an English lad walking down the street with his English mates, you know, because they, they just wear the shirt sleeves um, regardless of, of the weather. But this guy was dressed as, I think he was dressed in like um, a milkmaid's uniform carrying a sex doll over his shoulder. How do we know that he was not a, a milk professional milkmaid and part-time sex doll salesman? It's, I mean, we don't. I'm making no. the wild assumption that this was the costume that they they decided to give him. So that's how you know things are back to normal. Right. That's right. it. Yeah. Nature is healing. There's Something a man like that. in a milkmaid outfit walking yeah. down the street with a sex doll under his arm. But we went, um, go on, we, we went to this place called the Workman's Club, which is, you know, if you're thinking about it being a place where, you know, old fellas with flat caps sit and sup a pint of Guinness and talk about how hard they worked, you know, in the factory that day. It's not that. It's yeah. quite a quite a young crowd. So I arrived in on, on Friday night. They'd been out for a good while. I was popping in for a drink or two just to say hello, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a queue for the bar, um, which is sort of unusual. Normally people, you know, mill around a bar and they just sort of take their shot. But there was an actual queue of people, a line of people. And there were two girls ahead of me in the queue, right? They're, mm. I would say, 18 or 19. 
and they turned around and you know do the thing like you know evening hello hello and one of them looks at me and she says how old are you <laughs> wow and i said uh um, i'm i'm 50 she went 50 wow that her mother's 50 i was like <laughs> and she said what are you doing here <laughs> and it Bad was question. It was it was a bit more innocent. It was a bit more like I actually can't believe someone this old is yeah. in here. So, you know? so so what brings you here? Yeah, exactly. I said, oh, I'm here on a stag party. Um, they're all they're all over there in the corner. So I'm just coming in to have a c- couple of drinks with them. And then she said, are you are you American? And I said, no, I'm from I'm from Kimmage, mm. just up up the road here. Then one of the lads came over, uh, Johnny Woodbine. He came over and and was all right. Oh, and she went, are you Australian? <laughs> I mean, the world experience, not great, but it made me laugh a lot. Like the the the, the sort of like, how old are you? Yeah, well, like like I said, happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you, man. I'm feeling uh, quite old actually. <laughs> that that did make me feel <laughs> pretty old. It has to be said, but you know, I mean, he's lucky they didn't dress him up or anything. Nothing will ever be worse than um, on my stag do when people dressed me up in a Tottenham shirt, mm. took a photograph and posted it from my Twitter account, which to be honest, it's surprising that I've ever mm. recovered from that uh, professionally or personally. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think they did dress him up, but they dressed him up as Brian Robson as player manager, wearing a pair of football shorts and then a, a, a suit jacket and stuff. Oh yes, uh, I saw that on Instagram. Yeah, that's but then fairly by the, reasonable. By the time I had met him, he was in normal attire. You know, they weren't making him walk around all weekend in in that thing. So, well, that's that's very generous of them. Did so you know, that was Friday night. Was that was it? Friday night, and had a nice dinner on Saturday night. Uh, lots of lots of uh, red wine, Italian red wine, was very very um very nice. So I've had yeah, I've had a very nice weekend. What about you? Great weekend. Yeah, I went to the game at the oh, Emirates. Of course, I saw your your pictures. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I was there. It was good fun. I met a good few listeners actually to the mm. show who sent you their regards um and yeah it was just i mean it was a terrific afternoon i don't know if you got the chance to see the game but um really entertaining if you're an arsenal fan mm. um ran out very comfortable winners and it was genuinely quite exhilarating to see the stadium as full as that because uh, i've been to quite a few of the women's games now at the emirates and you know that we've there's been some decent attendances but because it's such a big cavernous stadium mm. um when there's a you know even with like 20 30,000 people in there it can feel a bit underwhelming yeah this, i know what you mean yeah 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 but this really did feel like oh wow people have really come out for this and it felt like um a follow-on i suppose from the excitement of the euros and yeah the turning of a page maybe i hope uh you know apparently demand is demand is already pretty good for some of the other women's games that are going to be at the Emirates this season. I think there's tickets on sale now. It might be United and Chelsea. Don't quote me on that, but there's right. tickets on sale already for some of the other games that are going to be at the Emirates. I mean, amazing. What was it? It's a, a new record in the WSL, isn't it? 53,000 plus tickets sold. And you know what's yeah. amazing? I was thinking about it, actually. I didn't really get a chance to watch much of it. I saw bits and pieces of it uh, on Saturday afternoon, but I didn't. Um, I was sort of running around doing a few things and I didn't have time to, to sit down and watch the whole game but mm. what I thought was really um, fantastic about it was A, obviously the fact that that many tickets were sold and there's that much interest in the women's team and clearly they're riding the wave a bit of the women's Euros and that's brilliant because you know Arsenal players were, were quite fundamental in, in that success as well but also like 
it, it sort of reminded me a little bit of when they did the, you know, 10 euro tickets for the Carling Cup games back in the day. I don't know if they still do that, but they, they you know, those tickets sort of opened up Arsenal to the next generation and a different kind of fan on the day, you know. And when you looked at the, um, you know, the pictures of the crowd and so many young girls there, um, maybe going to a football match for the first time, it, I mean, it's brilliant, isn't it? This this sort of community idea of a football club often gets lost in the in the sort of big machine of the football world these days. But something like this is a bit more, I don't know, is a bit more pure? Is that the right way to put it? I'm not sure if that's the right way, but you know what I'm saying? It's it's like it's a bit more open to everyone, if that makes sense. Definitely. Like, I've got cousins, um, pre-sisters who are girls who don't go to loads of games, and they came to this. Um, I've got, I was sat next to a bloke called Nigel, who's a listener to the show, and he had brought his young daughter with him. And I saw quite a lot of, you know, mums and dads with daughters and some of them quite young, mm. a very different crowd at the Emirates Stadium. But as you say, opening up to a different generation, a different demographic. And it was a really positive uh, atmosphere. And like, you know, even though it was a derby, mm. um, it was pretty friendly. I mean, it was a, I imagine it would be a very different atmosphere in a week's time when Arsenal host Tottenham in, uh, in the men's Premier League. But, you know, th- there's room for both, certainly. And I, I do think it's, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a game that you could bring people to you might not ordinarily bring mm. for fear of what chance you might hear or what yeah. you might encounter or what you might see unfold. Um, and I, I, I think that's, I think that's broadly a positive thing. And there's, there's definitely room for both. So, yeah, it was, it was really great and it felt like a landmark occasion. And I know the club were really pleased and proud. And, you know, I think mm. Vinay wrote something in the program perhaps that was also put up on the club website about, you know, the ambitions for the women's team and where they see it going. Um, and it's difficult not to feel, you know, very proud of it as a fan as well. I mean, we are one of the leading lights of the WSL well, and a really good team. And we showed that again. Sure. I, I like the the quote from Leo Williamson, who said, I feel very proud that it's Arsenal setting the record. She said, I think it's fitting uh, that the club has always been investing in women's football and pushed the boundaries and set new boundaries again. And, you know, I was thinking about it as well from the players' perspective, like the buzz they must have got, not just from beating Tottenham, because as we know, uh, they get battered everywhere they go. But... Just the the like the noise when the ball hits the back of the net, you know, if you're Beth Mead or Vivian Miedema, um, you know, must have been really something. And 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 that sort of level of support, um, you know, we've talked often, haven't we, about how Mikel Arteta is so wedded to the idea of the connection between the team and the fans. And why wouldn't it be any different for for the women's team? It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, definitely. And I think the players were well aware of that and I think relished it. You know, some of them experienced a little bit of that in the Euros. But I noticed when when both Beth Mead and it might have been uh, Sousa, the, the centre-half, who came off as well, they, you know, instead of jogging um, just across the pitch and going off or down the tunnel, they came off at the sides of the pitch and kind of went round so mm. they could acknowledge the crowd and soak up the applause. And, you know, those were nice moments. And I mean, it, it also, it just could not have gone more perfectly from an Arsenal perspective. They got a goal um, 
early on. Beth Mead is sort of the hero of the moment. Got it. A really nice goal too. And they just completely dominated the match. So mm. it made for a very, uh, yeah, a very happy occasion. And, and, you know, I mean, we make this point quite often, but you are watching, certainly watching this Arsenal team, some of the best players in the world um, mm. in the women's game. So, yeah, it was a fantastic afternoon and I was uh, really glad to be there. And it's interesting, you know, like I'm not an expert on women's football at all. And I sort of often feel a bit, I don't know if you have feel like this, but I often feel a bit sort of conflicted in that I sort of, um, I don't want to co-opt coverage of it from people who have followed it for years, you know, and mm. really people like Tim who are experts and are completely embedded in that world. I sort of feel like on the one hand, um, I want to let them be at the forefront of this. And as the game rises, they should be the people to benefit. But also with the platform that I have and, you know, the mm. media outlets I work for and things like that, I also feel like increasingly it is going to become part of my life and part of my job and part of my hobby covering the women's team. So it's a, it's a really interesting time sure. as someone who's sort of always predominantly followed the men's team this kind of huge upsurge in interest in the women's game, it comes at an interesting moment and it's, yeah, it's great. But no. it does, I, it's, I haven't quite figured out my place in it. Sure, so. I know I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. I always feel like if I'm mentioning it on Arsblog, like, uh, like you, I'm not an expert and I would not pretend to be an expert or anything like it. Um, I think the 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 success of this team is is um, is fantastic, and clearly they're a very talented group of players, and and hopefully they can you know get the confidence boost and go into the game against Ajax on Wednesday and continue the good form in the WSL, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I, you know when I mention it, uh, it's always to point people in the direction of what Tim and the team are doing over on on our Splug News. Um, you know the coverage is is just so. Um, you know, I'm not just saying it because it's on Arsblog News. It, it, it is really great, you know, on many levels. The, uh, there's video added now as well. There was a great um, uh, vlog. I know we haven't used that word in a long time, but, you know, it's a <laughs> video kind of um, diary of the day, um, which is, you that. know, yeah, really great, well yeah. produced. Um, you know, so I, I feel like, Arsblog and the podcast has got a great big platform, but that's why we host, you know, when, when there's a women's Arscast, it goes out on the same feed as mm. the regular Arscast and the Arscast Extra. And I think it's right to give it that kind of prominence. But at the same time, you know, I can stand to one side and say, look over here, this is where you get the stuff. I'm not going to start um, opining or, or, or giving my two cents on anything because I don't feel like I'm in a position to, uh, to do that, if that makes sense. But we are, of course, highly qualified to talk about men's football. Correct. Expert analysis. Correct. Has there been any <laughs> that we can talk about? <laughs> Not really. I mean, uh, you know, England played um, against Italy and lost. Mm. Um, I believe have been relegated from the Nations League. To what, though? Like, a, like I don't know. I think <laughs> the country gets dissolved or something. It's going um, that way anyway. Without yeah. the football, um. there's a there's a, if you go on the BBC football page, um, there's a one of their headline stories has the uh, title "What's on the line in the Nations League," and I think we can safely say almost nothing. Um, <laughs> I mean, what do, but, I mean, I still don't get it. Does it do, does it affect your like 
coefficient or your seeding or whatever it is when you go into like the European yeah, Championships or something. I uh, think it does, but it's. I mean, I can't get too exercised about it. I mean, England. You know, England have been really poor. Think big Gareth's in trouble. Bad timing, yeah, is. isn't it? You know, it's like, uh, you know, it feels to me anyway like, I mean, it might have been harsh when you get to within a penalty kick of winning the European Championships to say, you know, maybe your race is run, but maybe, yeah, maybe his race is run. You know, it doesn't maybe. feel great, does it, for for the team he's putting together and, you know, the results. I mean, who knows? When the tournament comes around, that could be the focus they need or whatever. But in terms of the build-up, in terms of preparation, all that kind of stuff, if it goes wrong, uh, England are playing Germany tonight. Uh, is that at Wembley? Um, I believe so. So if that goes wrong, then you've basically got, what, one more game? Is there another like warm-up game before the World Cup? It's not ideal preparation. No, not at all. I saw that... Um Henry Winter had criticised Gareth Southgate. And I think Henry Winter criticised Gareth Southgate is kind of the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. <laughs> it means he's in real big trouble. Um, but yeah, I mean, England haven't scored a goal from open play in forever. Bukai Saka played against Italy as left wing back. Um, he was voted England's player of the year? or Yeah, I mean, that's Arsenal Twitter for you. Tony Adams is probably going to win Strictly Come Dancing at this rate. We did have um, some questions about that, actually. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> well, we may come to that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, he played at left back, which, you know, I think you could argue is a, potentially a waste of his talents. But, mm. yeah, they, 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 yeah, they look like a very blunt instrument, very reliant on Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. And when they don't click, there isn't much else there. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I mean, beyond that, I've just been sort of keeping an eye on injury news, really, or, you know, absentee news anyway. Yes, yes. Um, you know, there have been a few little things that we should perhaps discuss and could probably be a bit worried about. Um, Thomas Partey's one, isn't he, in that mm. he went away with Ghana having just come back, mm. you know, and you could say th this could be decent playing time for him, you know, because he's missed some games, so you get him up to speed. If he gets like 60, 70 minutes in one game, 60, 70 minutes in another game, you know, no harm, no foul, because it gets him back to something approaching proper match fitness. But we got the report that he pulled out as a precautionary measure and they said, but then he'll be, he'll be all right to play on Tuesday. And I was thinking, what kind of knee problem keeps you out of a game on Friday, but makes you okay for one on Tuesday. And subsequently he's gone back to Arsenal because he requires further assessment. Now I have to say, I'm, you know, my glass on this one is verging towards half empty. <laughs> Just to put it like that, you know? Well, you speak from some experience, I guess, mm. uh, in the case of Thomas Partey. Um, yes, it's a bit alarming. The only thing I'm sort of hopeful of is, uh, is the club are obviously incredibly conscious and mindful of the weight and significance of the fixture list between now and the World Cup. Mm. And my hope, and I and I can't speak to this with any authority, is that they are being maybe a little bit more cautious or um, controlling, maybe around their players and how much. I saw, you know, did you see the news about Tommy Yasu, for yes. example? 
missing Japan's second game yeah. at Arsenal's request, seemingly. Was it, though? I mean, I, I, I saw that it was club requirements. Is that Was that the phrase that was used? Mm, club the, requirements. That's what the Japanese... FA account seem to suggest. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of me, club circumstances is what they said, right? Yeah. And part of me was thinking, you know, there's very little that a club can usually do in this situation other than sort of give the national team all the information possible and maybe give some advice you know, based on their assessment of a player's fitness. But very often, and we've seen this countless times down the years, haven't we? National team managers will not pay much attention to that if they feel like they need the player. They'll just Mm -hmm. play him. They'll just play him, play him, play him. But then I was thinking also, well, you know, the World Cup is just on the horizon. And if Tommy Asu has come to Japan and, and the advice from Arsenal, let's say, is that like, he could probably do 90 minutes, but you shouldn't play him for two games. Um, you know, just to, as we, to make sure everything's going to be okay. Maybe they take that more into advice given the current circumstances because, you know, they need Tommy Asu for the World Cup much more than they need him for the Kieran Challenge Cup 2022 against Ecuador, you know? So yeah. maybe there is an element of common sense being applied here. Similarly, you could say that's true of of Ghana, but this is like a new injury that he's got. It's not as if he's just gone there and then they've said, okay, yeah, you're not quite there for a second game. Off you go. He's he's obviously picked up some kind of a problem. Yes, well, I don't know if you know, remember the old uh, song, but the knee bone is connected to the thigh bone. I mean, it's in the, it's a new injury, but that could be related or could be, you know, a consequence of some of the problems he's had. The something's connected to my wristwatch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, um, I mean, who knows? Kieran Tierney's the other one, isn't it, who's been sent home mm. after a, a bang on the head, I believe, possible concussion. Mm. Um the, well, your glass is half empty. If mine was to be half full, I guess I would be hoping that what we're seeing here is a kind of a little bit of club over country, Mikel Arteta going full, Alex Ferguson, you know, mm. going by all means go up and go and meet up with your countries, be there for the first game. But if you could come back safely ASAP and get out of the second one, that would mm. be good. I guess we'll actually probably only know you know, knowing Mikel Arteta and what he's like in his press conferences, when the lineup for the North London derby is announced on Saturday. Yeah, or unless there's a an athletic exclusive. Unless we do our job at the Athletic <laughs> as well. Yeah, there is that. Thomas Partey, done for the season. <laughs> and Mikel Arteta will say, no, we're assessing him ahead of uh, the derby. Uh, yeah, he's being assessed. And then... Well, do you, I'll be honest. I mean, reporting around Partey's injuries... You know, there is always a bit of a vagueness to mm. it. And I, I genuinely think that's because, you know, he has had some quite chronic issues. And mm. I think anybody, um, be that journalist or be that, you know, somebody in a medical department, is a little bit loath to speak with too much certainty mm. around him. Because how can you? You know, you can say, oh, yeah, it shouldn't be a bad one. But... Mm he breaks down in training or if he suffers a recurrence or it doesn't improve as quickly as you'd like, you know, I always notice with him, whenever you speak to people around the club, around the player, there's always a vagueness of time scale. And I think that's just a consequence of the problems he's had. Yeah. Um, 
Well, let me let's throw in a few questions as we're going along. Given this is an interlal arsecast, uh, mm. and we can do a couple of questions. So, the Loose Cannons podcast, who are at Cannons underscore Loose, hello chaps. Um, they said with Thomas Partey being recalled from international duty after another injury concern, is it time to start looking for a replacement instead for him? He may be a quality player, but that doesn't matter if he can't play week in week out. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, mm. 29 years old, Thomas Partey at this point in time, which you'd say is argue. I mean, I, I find that interesting. You know, a lot of people say, um, oh, he had no injuries at Atletico. And why is he suddenly getting them at Arsenal? And I think in some respects, that's a valid question. And, you know, you could look at um, Arsenal had a spate of kind of injuries picked mm. up in training in recent weeks. And maybe there is something happening there. But you also do have to look at his age and think he's joined Arsenal heading into his late 20s at a time when some players can begin to have more physical problems than they did previously. Mm. Um, I don't know if that alone explains it, but yes, I, I think the issue is, of course, that he's almost... I hesitate to say irreplaceable, but it's very difficult to replace like for like. It really reminds me, and I may have said this before on here, so apologies if so, but when Arsenal had Santi Cazorla and he was prone to injury or suffered a number of long-term injuries, Mm. um, but was a bit of a a unicorn of a footballer, you know, he could do things that you can't find easily in the transfer market. Yeah, I mean, I... (sighs) I think that's a valid point about the injuries and maybe age catching up with a player, and that that certainly can happen. Um, but I I do think at this point he is heading into territory where he's so unreliable or his fitness is so unreliable, you would be not doing your duty if you didn't have a very serious conversation about that if you're Mikel Arteta and if you're Edu and if you're building a squad, right? Much as as they almost certainly had a conversation about Kieran Tierney. Yeah. Um, So they brought in another left-back with an even worse injury record, which is quite something. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I wrote about that on the blog today. needs to be fit. Obviously, neither is at the moment. but. (laughs) But, you know, I do think that at least... You know, I think the 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 Elneny contract extension was in some ways kicking a can down the road. I don't mean this to sound dismissive of Elneny, right? Mm-hmm. I just think when they looked at their plans, looked at what they wanted to do this summer uh, in the transfer market and how much they might be able to do or, or what they might need to do at a later date, I, I do think that that central midfielder that a lot of people wanted this summer was part was you know pushed down the road until next summer right because they've given the um the extension to El Nenny they couldn't legislate for a serious injury to El Nenny um and I do wonder if that might then change the schedule of whatever signing we have planned for that position so will it be a January signing now rather than a summer signing. But if we're not out there, if we don't have the targets to, A, 
understudy or B, replace Thomas Partey, then I'd be really, really worried. Uh, because you just can't, you can't bank on him being fit for any any sustained period. Because every time he is fit again, you're sort of looking at your your clock. It's like a countdown clock, and you're waiting for the next one. So, absolutely. And you know, I hope when Arsenal do that, they try and bring in a player, Alazinchenko. You know, someone who is of starting quality rather than a player who's self-evidently a, mm. a backup, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I hope they bring in someone who can compete and challenge rather than merely cover. I, I think that's the situation that we're in. And, uh, you know, I, I think by and large, most people feel the window in the summer was uh, broadly successful. And certainly the players we have signed seem to have started really well. But that particular part of the pitch and obviously they tried to do a deal on deadline day for Douglas Louise mm. um, three bids didn't happen um, shows you they want someone they want someone and they also I guess they believed it was doable I mean you know you don't pick a target unless you think it's achievable so I think they will be looking in January and I think January will be a much more mobile market than usual mm. a lot of clubs from what I'm hearing are anticipating almost injuries in this period of the season between October and the end of the World Cup um, and maybe even on the resumption because the fixture list is so tightly packed and so congested. I think most Premier League clubs are looking at the situation thinking, well, we could lose two or three mm. in, in that period of time and that may require us to do some business in January. So I think there's going to be more kind of volatility and, and more action, essentially, in that month mm. than we're accustomed to. I mean, do you think, you know, let's say there is something doing in January, do you think that they would go back for Douglas Louise? Or was he, like, that That was his window, if you like, that that deadline day, that, those last couple of days of the transfer window, because of what happened, opened a window for him to join Arsenal, which probably won't be there if mm. there's more time to perhaps get a player that they've got their eye on. And we've, we've heard about Danilo um, from Palmeiras. Mm. January might well be a better time to go after him because wasn't the, the issue that he was going to be playing Copa Libertadores. Um, you know, that was, that was part and parcel of that, I think. And doesn't the Brazilian season end in? Well, you do, you do see more moves from South America in January. So I think it is, uh, I don't know the Brazilian calendar. Where's Tim Still? Basically, this podcast should be presented by Tim Stillman. He could have Today, done this yeah. women. He could have answered this. <laughs> um, but I, I do think, yeah, January is tip, more typical for a player to move to Europe for South America. The Campeonato, um, 9th of April to 13th of November. There you go. So it's, clo it's going before the... Um, yeah. Um, and presumably the there's Cup. not a Club World Cup because of the actual World Cup yeah. being in winter. So I, I would think that there would be, yeah, that would be a good time. But but um, on the other side of the coin, I, I do think Douglas Luiz still has a shout. I mean, part of the reason Arsenal were interested in the player was that he had 12 months left on his contract, right? And they thought that might mm. make Villa amenable to selling. I think Villa's position in the table at that particular point in time actually was the biggest obstacle. You know, mm. they were and continue to be arguably in a bit of a mess um, and they didn't feel like they could lose 
you know, an important member of the squad at that particular point. But January will be even closer to the end of his contract. And, you know, it's actually part of Edu's strategy to kind of try and pinch players when they're in vulnerable contractual situations. Arsenal, you know, want to try and flex their muscles and, and use those to their advantage. They did that a bit with Jesus. They did that a bit with uh, Zinchenko. So, mm. yeah, I, I think there's still a possibility. The only question is, like, could you set your sights higher? I mean, Doug Lewis is a good player, but he's he's not someone who starts every single game for Villa. Sure. Um, you know, is, is if we're talking about bringing in someone who can genuinely compete with Thomas Partey rather than just provide sort of experienced Premier League cover, I do wonder if they might have to look beyond that, um, whether that would be Danilo or somebody else. Um, Danilo is what, 21? Yeah, um, he's kind of a future signing, right? He's a kind of Lukonga signing to me. Um, but then Lukonga is an interesting sort of piece in the equation in terms of how you factor it. Do you believe he can get to that level in that position? Um, are you prepared to block his route there? You know, I think part of the reason they liked the Elneny extension is because he could kind of bridge you to Lukonga. Mm. Um, but obviously, you know, the injuries put paid to that. I mean, yeah, look, this discussion could be moot depending on what kind of news we get going into um, Friday and going into October. Um, True. Maybe Thomas Partey's fine. Maybe it's not anything serious. But but, but even if he is, is it still moot? Like, I feel like no, we're talking yeah. about his injury situation almost every week. So, you know, I think there's a validity to the conversation Regardless yeah. No, 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 I agree. I just meant in the very short term. Um, yeah. it, it, he may well would be. play against Spurs. Yeah, we but, don't know. But longer term, yeah, it, I think he's he's in the sort of territory of players that we've mentioned before where, you know, the the, the talent is obvious, but the, the injury issues become not insurmountable, but you've got to you've got to move beyond them, if you like, because you're constantly not firefighting, but if you don't have the player or if you don't have the, the system to, to deal with it. I think I had a question about, um, sort of follow-up question about what we might do if Partey wasn't there. Let me mm. see if I can find it here. Uh, oh, yeah, it comes from Jack Abella, who's at Jack G. Abella. And he said, Shaka played really well in a deeper role in Switzerland's game against Spain. Zinchenko hasn't been fit when Partey's injured this season. Do you think next time Partey is out, Shaka could play as the six and Zinchenko could play in that left central midfield role? You could do that, but I would... Uh, some may disagree, but I, I'd almost be more inclined to play than the other way around. Um, I'd almost be inclined to say, let Shaka carry on doing what he's been doing so fantastically well for Arsenal. And I do wonder if Zinchenko, you know, from what we've seen of him, his technical ability, you know, ability to manoeuvre in tight spaces might mm. be a bit more press resistant than Shaka has proven to be when yeah, playing yeah, in the yeah. base field. Um, so I, I would probably go the other way around, but what do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I haven't really seen Zinchenko play that role. No, nor have I. So, you know, I don't know if the North London derby is necessarily the time to do that. I don't know how often he's played there in his career um, or in his international career anyway, because most of his football at Man City was certainly, you know, as a left back or on the left side, mm -hmm. whereas for Ukraine, he plays in, in midfield. But it does seem to be 
sort of a left midfield role rather than the sort of sitting um, single pivot kind of player that that we're looking for in there. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. Um, But there's so many variables as well, you know. Is Zinchenko fit? Is Tierney fit? Is mm. Partey fit? You know, yeah. um, a lot of these moving pieces we're not able to say with certainty about, talk with certainty about at this stage. So it's tricky, but I, I would be curious to see Zinchenko play that role. I've not seen it either mm. um, at the base of midfield, but on the technical side, I think he's up to it. Obviously, Partey brings a great deal of uh, physicality too and and I think he gets through more defensive work sometimes than is noticed it's the less eye-catching part of his game mm. but I think it's quite important nonetheless um, whether Zinchenko could match that I don't know yeah I mean the thing is you know when, when Partey came back to Arsenal whenever it was this week over the weekend I guess at some point internally they're going to have a good idea of whether or not he's going to be able to play Sure. Against Spurs, they'll know and, whether Mikel needs to get his boots on. Yeah, 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 well, I mean that's close enough, but it gives Mikel Arteta plenty of time to consider his options um, and to put in place a plan for the derby. I guess so. I guess that's the that's my slightly full, half full glass is that we have um, time to figure out what the fuck to do with the half empty glass. That makes sense. it is unfortunate, isn't it? That probably our one of our biggest games of the season falls off the back of an international break where, mm. you know, there is so much uncertainty around certain players and we we won't even get some back until quite late in the day. I mean, I know some Arsenal fans were sort of uh, disappointed that our Brazilian trio weren't called up, but from an mm. Arsenal perspective, it's probably fantastic news because it at least means we've got some of our key players on the training ground and working to be ready for that game. Well, that's it. And I'm sort of just looking up the uh, Germany squad now to see who might give Harry Kane a kick in his hamstring. Uh, who tonight. can we rely on? Who indeed? Serge Gnabry, is he in there? Uh, I don't think he is. Oh, he is. Yeah, he is. Serge Gnabry, get in there. Love He'll right. do it. North London is red. Remember your heritage. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, on the international front, is any anything else that we need to discuss or talk about? Players who've been away, Tierney, Tomiyasu, Partey, we've done that. There have been other Odegaard players. Odegaard played, did he not? He did, yeah, he played, and they're playing again tomorrow. I think they're playing Serbia. Um, so whatever kept him out of the Brentford game wasn't sufficient to keep him out of the Norway game, mm. unless, as I spoke about earlier, the Norway coach was a bit like, well, you know, tough shit, I'm going to play him. Um, yeah, 71 minutes he played mm. um, against Slovenia in a 2-1 defeat. Uh, I mean, that you know, when you've got a player who's so... He's international captain, isn't he? You mm. know, it's, it that adds another layer to it, doesn't it? It does. It does. Um, probably wasn't Arsenal's preference, but um, it's a tug of war between clubs and countries over players, particularly this time of year. Mm. So, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, like I say, tricky to go into this fixture with those uncertainty is hanging over us but it is a, a quite a mad month we've got ahead of us Andrew I hope you're ready for the roller coaster that we inevitably face yeah I know this this has felt a little bit like the um, calm, calm before the storm, the storm. and mm. then the storm comes with nine games I mean when you look at these games 
Spurs at home, Bodo Glimt at home, Liverpool at home, Bodo Glimt away, Leeds away, PSV Eindhoven at home, Southampton. <coughs> I got very emotional there. Don't Sa- worry about Southampton, Andrew. It's going to be okay. I know we all have traumatic memories from uh, last season. <laughs> Southampton away, uh, PSV Eindhoven away, and then Nottingham Forest at home. Mm. I mean, I'm going to Eindhoven. You are going to Eindhoven. Cool. I don't know what's in Eindhoven. The Phillips factory. And that's about it, as far as I'm aware. I'm sure they've got many and varied beautiful sites for you to, to go and see. But uh, I guess your time will be spent at the stadium. But just, you know, the 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 fixture list, it's Saturday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. Oof. Hits keep on coming. Yeah, they are going to have to manage that squad very, very carefully. Absolutely. And, you know, you've got a couple of games against PSV, which may be the sort of deciders in the European <coughs> group. We've got Liverpool. We've got mm. Spurs. We must get revenge against Southampton. Yes. Um, just the other side of October is Chelsea, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's a really intense and integral period. Yeah, I mean, um, that, that that schedule continues. You know, when I said Thursday to finish on Nottingham Forest or Sunday to finish on Nottingham Forest, there's another Thursday because we're playing FC Zurich. Then on Sunday, we're away at Chelsea, home to Brighton in the EFL Cup, um, and then away to Wolves in the yeah, Premier so that's, League. that's four games in nine days yeah. itself. And that, that angry man will be in the Wolves box. He'll be fucking out for revenge as well. If you're talking about revenge, that angry man will be there. I think he exploded shortly after full time at Molyneux in the spring. Rest in pieces, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, exciting times for podcasters. Uh, Yes, and content creators. When the pickings have been slim in recent weeks, but we're ready to go. We're all there. We're getting on board. All right, let's take a little break here, and we'll do some questions in part two, uh, which comes up right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we, uh, where, who, 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 we, we, we as the podcasters answer the questions that you as the listeners send to us on Twitter. Be mad if we were sending them questions all the time. Imagine just each of us sending 700 questions on a Monday to random followers. That'd be a bit weird. It's a good job we don't do that. I don't have time. 
No, no, no. I no, couldn't no. think of that many questions anyway. Um, At the moment, the, the guys only have to think of one each, and that's fine. That's what that's is our fine. best 11? Um, anyway, <laughs> they send the questions on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Um, I give you the honor on this, the day of my own birthday. My gift to you is the first question. Okay, Andrew. Let's do this. The question is from Louis Leddy on the Discord. And Louis says, happy birthday, Andrew, and a goodly morning to you, James. How many points do you think we'll pick up through October? He he has then said, is it too early to get the Predictatron out? And arguably it is, but we've bigged it up as this really important period. So I I think we should venture a prediction. Oh, God. Um... It's one, two, three... Six Premier League games, three four, Europa five. League games. Thank you. Mm. 14 points for Arsenal. I think it's... How are you getting six Premier League games? Spurs, Isn't it? Liverpool. Oh, no, there's... It's it changed. would have been six. Yeah, it's changed since that. So it's five... One, two, three, four, five Premier League games. So let me just double check the um, the fixtures again, even though I just read them out. So Spurs at home on the first. Oh, yeah, we're winning that. So let's not worry about that. That's three. Arsenal versus Liverpool. Draw. We're going to take some points off Liverpool. Okay. So you're on four. Leeds versus Arsenal. Win. Arsenal win. Seven. Southampton versus Arsenal. Arsenal win. Ten points. Arsenal versus Nottingham Forest. Win. So you're going for 13 from 15. Yeah. I love yep. it. Well, I better go for 15 then, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, I, I will say... Marquinhos' late winner against Liverpool gets you the 15. Is that what it is? Yeah, it must be that. Mm. I'm, I'm going to say... Um, three, six. I think we'll beat Nottingham Forest. I think we'll beat Southampton. We definitely owe Southampton one after last season. Mm. I think we'll beat Spurs. Come on, it's Spurs. It's lads, it's Spurs. Lads, it's Spurs. So that takes me to nine. That leaves me with Leeds away and Liverpool at home. Are you are you viewing Leeds away as something of a potential, potential banana skin? Banana I think. Skin. Yeah. Hmm? I say we'll get a point from the Liverpool game, and I'll say we'll have a shocked defeat at Leeds. Oh, so, I mean, I w- Brentford I- beat Leeds five two. And yeah. we beat Brentford 3 0. So we're going to beat Leeds 8 4. Yeah. Or something. Something like that. Now, I th- I'll go for. So what would that be? That would be 10 from 15. Mm. Um, I think both would be pretty respectable, to be honest. Mine um, is much more respectable, I think. Yours is nice. I have more yeah. respect for yours. I bow to I take my hat Mine is a, is a carefully tailored you. suit. And yours is yeah. a it's, it's a bit the old fucking J train tracksuit pants, isn't it? Okay, yeah. Well, if we get thirteen for fifteen, <laughs> chapeau. <laughs> I've we, never heard anyone except Edu or Mikel Arteta so, do the say the chapeau thing. Yeah, I think it's something that like one of them did, and they were like, "Oh, that must be a thing," and now they're doing it all the time. I really yeah. like that. Yeah, that's good. I feel cool when Edu says chapeau, so I'll say chapeau as okay, well. Okay, chapeau, chapeau. We should start saying chapeau on the podcast. More often. <laughs> what does it mean? Like, congratulations, it, it, well done. It means done, I take or? my hats off to you, effectively. Chapeau is French for hat. Ah. 
So it's just like saying GCSE, baby. Um, yeah, it's like it's like saying uh, it, it's like saying chapeau. Actually. But you, but do you know. not have we to do have a mime? Do you have to do a bit of mime with it? You can't you just say it. You've got to do like the mime of like the taking your chapeau. Taking your, yeah. taking your if hat. we do it, chapeau. Okay. It's We're, much more succinct than the English version of "I take my hat off to you." But that's like, much more it's, English. It's in English. It would be weird if you just went hat. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if you achieve that hat, that would be weird. <laughs> but that's effectively what they're doing. Um. Well, it's a wonderful quirk of of uh, of another language, and we all know what it means now. And um, chapeau to you for uh, informing me fully on what it means. My pleasure. That's My absolute thing. pleasure. I, I, did, you. I did the I did the uh, the thing. Let me do, let me do uh, this. <laughs> I didn't even notice it was seamless. I know. Um. This is sort of similar to October. We've just spoken about it, but J underscore what 16 on the Discord says, lots of emphasis on make or break October. I think people are forgetting there are still 24 games post-World Cup. Apart from Mm. potential statement wins against Tottenham and Liverpool, do you think October is as important as it's being made out to be? But we've got podcasts to promote and athletic (laughs) subscriptions to sell. Come on, give us a break. No, I think, you know what? It's as important for, it's as important for mood as anything. Like, you know, Arsenal's a great, it's a great time to be an Arsenal fan right this second. Like, Mm. and I know we're not winning big trophies or anything, but it's kind of as positive and, you know, warm as it's felt for quite a long while. And, Personally, that's that's what I want to sort of try and maintain, this sense of a club that's absolutely moving in the right direction. Um, but in pure Premier League points terms, it's certainly correct to say that we could have a bad October and still have a good season. Mm. Um, but, you know, if it starts to get sticky as the fixtures pile up, then, you know, the narrative will... Will shift. I th- I'm not that worried about the European games. Someone clip that up for mm. you know Ars- Arsenal versus FK Bodo. You know when we lose four 0 or something, right? Um, but I'm not that worried about the European games. I think we'll be comfortable there. But the Premier League, yeah. I mean, Did I guess you- we could we could afford to drop some points, but we're just in a fight where every point is precious. Do you, do you, I mean, I think it's probably as much about our ability to cope with the schedule or maybe it's more about that than what the difficulties the opposition might present to us, right? North London derby is always a derby, right? Liverpool, we know we don't have a great record, record against them in recent yeah. years. They're quite so good as well. They are yeah. quite good. Well, they they, have, they yeah. have been quite good. Chapeau to them. Um, but... You know, it's the nine games in 30 days with a squad that already feels a little bit stretched in certain places. I think that's worrying people a bit more than the quality of the opposition. And it's how yeah. well we can cope physically and maintain the level of performances that we've been putting in, which have been, you know, to be fair, pretty high energy performances, uh, aggressive. There's a lot of intensity with the way uh, in the way that we play these days, isn't there? And that costs energy that costs you energy and you need your recovery time and refueling and all that kind of stuff and we don't really have that so it's going to be how far they can push themselves um 
you know, through the through the pain barrier or whatever you want to call it during this month, because there are going to be people who are running on empty by the end of it, I'd say. Yeah. What a World Cup that will make for. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes you end up with a situation where you have half a dozen injuries and people are like, how's this happened? You know, we've got sort of six, seven injuries at the same time. But when you think about it, it's completely logical because these things snowball. Mm. They're kind of, uh, cum- there's a cumulative effect. So the more players you lose, the more you are reliant on the ones you have remaining. Mm. And the greater the physical demands on them become. For sure. So, you know, you lose a few bodies in the squad, a few key players, you're kind of liable in some ways, more liable, in my opinion, to lose more because you're asking more of the guys who are left. Um, and maybe, you know, a key player who you might have been able to rest, you might feel, oh, we actually can't because we don't have the same quality in the squad. So it is going to be a pretty pivotal period in that respect. And I just think as well in terms of kind of perception of Arteta and Edu you know ultimately this is a squad they've assembled knowing that this would be the fixture list and I think if Mm. we fall short and really struggle I think justifiably they'll probably face quite a lot of criticism for that Um, and I think as well like we've played well so far this season but there are a couple of caveats to that you know the Premier League schedule the fixture list have been relatively kind we haven't really been in an intense period of playing twice a week and seeing how we cope with that. So it's a, we're testing the metal mm. of this Arsenal squad. I think that's the most interesting thing about October. I don't think it, it, in terms of the points we collect or fail to collect, it tells us where we'll finish, but it will be quite instructive about how good we are and how prepared we are mm. to cope with the season. You know? Yeah. And it also, you know, I think there is slight wiggle room as well as um, uh, the questioner, uh, whose name I've completely forgotten now, J underscore what 16 says there there are still 24 games to go. So if you get a, not a rude awakening, but something which tells you your squad needs more, you do have the ability to do that, you know, in this season of all seasons because of the gap come back on December 26th and if you do your work right, you can make a signing very, very early in January yeah, and and add to the squad also at a time when, you know, the, the, the fixture list is going to be a bit crazy because I think it could be January as well or maybe January or February where, you know, if we go through to the, um, to the next round of the, or into the knockout stages of the Europa League, then I think there's maybe another, month with nine games in it as well so it's going to happen again Mm. so if you're not ready for it this time around you've got no excuse a second time out yeah i think yeah it's going to be very very interesting Uh, i think the question makes a good point about you know placing it in context but we're going to learn a lot that is for sure sure um Okay, there is a. We had a few questions about an interview Ralph Sanier gave to mm. a colleague, um, Dermot Corrigan. Niall Shannon on Twitter said, What are your opinions on the Ralph Sanier interview? What does he mean by we made a mistake in making Arteta manager? Um, have you seen this, Andrew? Um, 
Yes, I have. I did read that this morning. Um, it's the first we've heard, really, from Rouse. And yeah, he's since his mm. Arsenal exit, certainly in English anyway. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I've been, you know, on, on tenterhooks or anything, waiting to hear from him. I, I thought the most interesting aspect of the interview, from an Arsenal perspective anyway, was the sort of the assertion which we'd always, I'd certainly always guessed, but it was Sanyehi who who pushed Emery for the job. Yeah. Right? And it made all kinds of sense because, like, how could non-Spanish speakers interview Unai Emery and be impressed? Mm-hmm. You know, and that never made any sense. So it always seemed like um, that was a Sanyehi suggestion. Um, and I, I kind of know what he says about the you know, the structure of a football club, right? Um, You know, what he was talking about with regards, um, you know, you need the sporting director, you need the head coach, you need that you don't want a manager because the manager has too much to do. But I don't know really that you can talk about that when you did it and it was fucking terrible. Like it was, mm. it was really bad. Even if a couple of the people that he brought in, in Mikel Arteta and Edu as well, are, are there now and, and doing a good job. Um, I don't think Arteta is a manager in the sense that Arsene Wenger was the manager. I do think he has a lot of power and a lot of influence at the football club, but I don't think he is um, – as what's the word omnipotent as as Arsene Wenger was, so it's not a return to 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 that situation. But look, Raul Sinyahi, I know there were mitigating circumstances. I know that COVID hit. Um, you know the um, the thing that he said was great produced one of the worst Arsenal teams in living memory, one of the worst seasons in living memory. It dug us into a hole that we're only really beginning to come out of, and it's taken a lot of time and patience and hard work and frustration from an Arsenal fan's perspective to go through those difficult times to get to a point where we can now start to feel um, you know, encouraged and excited about our team. I'm not sure how, as head of football, he was responsible for letting 55 people go because I think some of those jobs had nothing to do with the football side of things, really. No. So it read to me like Raul Sanyahi's version of events, given that he's had plenty of time to think about what he might say publicly. And that's kind of it. I read it, closed the app, and moved on with my life. Yeah, I think that is fair, to to be honest. I think that's a fair reflection if you're in if you know it is his mm. version of events and i obviously wasn't i had i had a conversation with dermot prior to him interviewing Raoul right. about you know context and you know just because obviously he's not an arsenal correspondent so you know giving him the background but i presume the actual conversation they had i mean it, you know Raoul says that he, he really wants to talk about Zarago, so he doesn't want to talk a lot about arsenal and what he says about arsenal is relatively um mm. What can I say? It's, there are probably some omissions. Um, yeah. Like, it's his version of events. Absolutely, yeah. And and I think, as for the structure, I kind of agree with you. I mean, Rao was very, very 
precious, I might say, about the sort of sanctity of that structure. Like we all remember his big org chart, right? Um, mm. And 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 that was his, and that's the same thing he's done. He's gone to Zaragoza and employed the same uh, model. You know, he was part of the same thing at Barcelona. That appears to be like his primary <laughs> strategic. Um, yeah, I you know thing. I do I don't know how well that you know maybe that is the way that Barcelona operates. But Barcelona as an institution, as a sort of this behemoth, this sort of organism of football, if you like, has its own internal structure, which changes quite a lot, obviously, because of, you know, different presidents and votes and all that kind of thing. And I'm not sure, you know, when you're a president, for example, um, doing, you know, you get elected and you get elected on the back of promises like uh, uh, Juan Laporta when he was uh, running for president. I think his whole thing was we'll bring Beckham, yeah. we'll get David Beckham. And they didn't get David Beckham. It might have been they brought in Ronaldinho, clearly much more suited to Barcelona than David Beckham would have been. Um, but but I'm not sure that you can really take that structure and apply it to a club like Zaragoza. Or maybe you can try and apply it to a club like Arsenal. I mean, what what it feels to me, I don't know, you could tell me if you think this is true or not, but it feels to me like... The setup at the moment, even if there are certain things, you know, like player sales that we might think can be improved on, it does feel, to me anyway, the interaction between um, Edu, Mertesacker, Mikel Arteta, it feels quite inclusive, cooperative, right? That there aren't really, like that Sanyehi, Mislintat, Gazidis thing, that really fell apart in a bad way because there were other things at play there, right? And I'm not sure that when Raul was there, what was going on was quite as inclusive at that level than it is now. Yeah, I mean, you know, very simplistic, but look at the business Edu did when Raul was there and the business Edu's done since then. And I think there's actually been an improvement in terms of his recruitment and the results of that mm. since he's been granted more autonomy. Uh, and, and that's kind of what I was coming around to saying. I think while Raul is incredibly proud and precious about this structure, I, I don't think really it was sort of demonstrably any better than what we have now. And or quite possibly it was much worse. Yeah. And I think um, the Arteta manager point is kind of interesting in that, you know, for better, for worse, Raul and Arteta had, had a positive relationship and, when Raul left, I think, um, I think Mikel saw that there was kind of a bit of a vacuum there, and um, probably quite strategically decided to sort of step up and grasp the mantle and seize some of that responsibility for himself at a time when his stock was incredibly high. Let's not forget having just won the World Cup, uh, World Cup, World Cup. <laughs> FA Cup within um, you know six months of coming into the job. Sure. Um, and maybe, you know, the club could have not done that. They could have resisted. But I'm not sure Arsenal have been any worse for it. I'm not sure it's done us any harm. I mean, Rouse, he says, you know, I do not agree when clubs call the first team coach the manager. First team coach is first team coach. That is enough. Nowadays, the workload's overwhelming. I need to concentrate on the first team. I mean, the reality is I don't think Arteta or anyone at Arsenal would really argue with that. Um, you know, Rouse says anything that distracts you from 
that is not your responsibility. Travel arrangements, the pitch, salary, budget, well, medical department. But, he's not but doing I don't that. think Mikel's booking the bus. Do you know what I mean? No, he's not. Of course he's not. I mean, that's a complete red herring. You know, it's a straw man argument there from Raul. And, you know, I, 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 I sort of know what he's talking about, right? Within the modern football structure, you've got to have some constants. So, yeah. You know, if you, give it, you need to be able to dispose of your coach. I mean, yeah, yeah, or you know, that's a reality of modern football, of course. But I also think as well that there was something a bit more to Arteta being given the job as manager. It was to give him a measure of authority within the club that had been missing. That who was going to be that authority figure without giving him that title, if that makes sense. And maybe they saw, you know, that there were some issues coming down the line that needed to be dealt with from a disciplinary point of view or whatever. And and the idea, you know, footballers, um, they can be difficult to deal with. If you're sort of seen as a transient, potentially transient head coach, is it possible to instill the kind of discipline that you want but if you're doing it as a manager, if you're if you're there to like part of Arteta's remit, as far as he was aware or as far as he's concerned, was to change the culture of the club. Can you do that just as head coach? I'm not sure you can. No, I don't think I was, you can. I think that's true. I think it gave him some much needed clout and authority. I also think it probably gave him some security and stability in a time where the club was in a bit of chaos and crisis. And mm. the man who had effectively appointed him was booted out. And, you know, Arsenal didn't want to give Arteta a new contract because he hadn't been there very long, but they wanted to give him a show of faith at that particular point in time. And, you know, embed him in the club because mm. he was a valuable asset at that particular point in time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a bit overblown, this sort of discussion of betraying the model. In fact, I think it's quite a lot overblown. Um, and, you know, I think you can raise questions about, you know, is Arteta too powerful at Arsenal? Things like that. I think there are conversations that you could have legitimately around that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's much more about, you know, people and personalities and styles of management that is about this particular model and I also think you know Raul's effectively saying that there's a requirement for somebody like him you know somebody who's above Edu and Arteta who is on the football side mm. and the reality is Arsenal are sort of seem to be managing fairly well without that I mean above Edu and Arteta you have got obviously the chief executive um, and the board Mm -hmm. who are not silly football people. And the board also you know, includes Josh Kroenke, includes Tim Lewis. And these people are providing, you know, a measure of oversight and final sign-off on big decisions. And I think it's giving Edu and Arteta autonomy. Um, and I think if you said to them now, do you want a, a guy like Raul in above you? Mm. I don't think either of them would, to be honest. No, Whether that's the right thing or not, I don't know. But Sure. Sure. Edu's, Edu has been the big winner, I think, of Raul going because, you know, the whole thing with Raul was he was the black book and he was the guy who had all the contacts and Edu's completely assumed that mm. responsibility and he is now the face of Arsenal in the transfer market. Um, that would not have happened had Raul still been there. So, yeah. 
you know, I can't see him you know, wishing we had a, a head of football again. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think so. But I, you know, I, I, yeah, I, like I said, I read it and closed the app and we've moved on and things are better. And um, yeah. I think many of us can understand why, why things are better. So. I think it will, in the fullness of time, we will reflect on it on quite a bizarre, for lots of reasons, mm. a bizarre period in Arsenal's history. Yes, I I agree. Uh, there's a book to be written there somewhere, but then you could say that about plenty of other uh, periods <laughs> in, in Arsenal's history. Yeah. And those books haven't been written, or indeed when they have been written, they've been a bit disappointing and low on detail um, about certain things. But, um, you know, uh, th- there was a lot I felt Arsene could have gone into in his book, but didn't, you know, that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. Um, let me see. Do I have another one here? Okay. Uh, Carl Jason, who's at Carl Jason, says, Hello, gents. Which of our players are you hoping will score their debut goal next? I'm hoping Ben White, and he gives the shh to the Spurs crowd. Has Ben White never scored? Not for Arsenal. Arsenal. Wow. That is surprising, isn't it? He's had some chances as well. I can remember one or two balls dropping to him in the penalty box and mm. thinking, here we go. I'm just trying to think, like, who hasn't scored? So um, Ben White hasn't scored. Saliba has scored. Tommy... Tommy Asu has scored, hasn't he? He did, didn't he? He has scored a header. Am I wrong about this? Hmm. Uh, Tommy Asu goal for Arsenal. Hmm. Maybe not, you know. Let me see. Stats... Uh, stats by club. He's not scored a Premier League goal. He has not scored an. Uh, he's not, he's got an assist, but hasn't scored a goal. I think he hit the bar. Right. Well, that that would be. I'd like that would be a good one. He's got to be in the team first. Um, Zinchenko. Zinchenko. Matt Turner. I'm not sure Matt Turner is going to. <laughs> he's I not mean, top of your list. Okay. Well, Marquinhos has got his, obviously. Yeah. Um. Who else? Sambi? Vieira's got his. Sambi, I don't believe, does have one. He got one in preseason, if I remember. He did. Nice goal. Yeah, no, he doesn't have one. Maybe against Chelsea. Um, I think it's got to be Ben White, hasn't it? Mm. I feel That's like, well overdue. I feel like that would be a good way to put the icing on the cake of our 3-0 win. I've seen Saturday. Ben White celebrate a tackle, and it makes me want to see Ben White celebrate a goal. I bet he doesn't really celebrate. Really? Yeah. I bet if he scores, he's he's a, a sort of straight back to the halfway line kind of guy. Sure, sure. Depending on the context of the goal, of course. But, you know, I think he's probably a cool but I think if it comes to the North London derby, I don't know if that will be the case. Has Ben White, maybe Ben White has scored for, for other clubs and we might see what kind of celebration he does. That's true. Imagine a Ben White goal. Let me just see if he's got one here. If I go to Y Scout. Ben White scores Screamer as Leeds United end title winning season on high. That's a YouTube video. Okay. Um, and it's a Screamer. Oh, well, you you kind of got to celebrate a Screamer. Let's so it's see. Leeds in the championship playing against Charlton. Oh, but it's at it? in, you know what? It's it's in COVID times, empty oh. stands. I'm, I'm so I don't know if this is a fair test. I mean, it's a great goal. Oof. He, yeah, look, he's it? going straight back to the... Uh, yeah, look, 
Oh, what did I tell you? He's banged he, it in he, there. He takes it on his chest and volleys it into the top corner from the edge of the box. Turns around, thinks, oh, I'm going to have a bit of a run here. Then he goes, no, I'm too cool for this. I just too remembered cool. I'm too cool. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's okay, yeah. That's what he said. I think he just said that. That was okay, wasn't it? So it's kind I, of extraordinary to watch him do that and think that he's still yet to score for Arsenal, but there you go. It's coming. It's coming. I'll, if he scores one of those against Spurs, I don't think he'll be able to contain himself. No, nor should he. He should run straight in front of the Spurs fans and um, tell them to go fuck themselves. That's what I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, num, 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 num. What about another question? Have you heard that? That's my new jingle. Oh, yeah? The show. Okay. Um, I like it. Amit. Mm-hmm. I love this question. Amit underscore AFC. Do you believe the Vlavic rumours? <laughs> there are Vlavic rumours? Yeah, have you not seen them? No. Oh, there have been Vlavic rumours. Arsenal interested in Vlavic. I, I honestly don't know where they originated. Um, Fabrizio Romano came out and said, Arsenal, you know, there's no serious interest at this point in time. And I thought, I, I don't I love know that. if you needed I, to say that. I, at this it. point in time, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's just yeah. for the likes. I mean, there was, you know, there's no. That's just for traction. No one needed him to say that. Surely nobody. Yeah, nobody believes after believes what, what did the they spend? Truth. Eighty million is that what they spent on him? Juventus all part. Yeah. I mean, they and he didn't want to come to us then. So why does he suddenly want to come now? Who did I listen to? What podcast did I listen to? It was James Horncastle on Second Captains. Yeah talking to Ken early about Juventus and the money and like how far they've stretched themselves and how things are not going particularly well. And so maybe, the, you know, there's some craziness about how they might need to get rid of a guy or whatever, but I can't, I just know, I wouldn't pay any attention to that at all. I don't think Arsenal would sign a forward for that kind of price tag as well. You know, no. given what they've committed to Jesus and to an extent what they've committed to Eddie. I mm. um, I was going to ask you before we go go on to the final uh, question. I was going to ask you: Did you watch the Louis Figo documentary on um, Netflix? Oh no, not yet. I've heard it's really good. It is good. It's quite mad in its way because the story is just sort of like, what the fuck are these people? How you know the agents and all that kind mm. of stuff? But it is it's a very good mafia, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a bit. It's an interesting story. But they do these. Wow, uh, used to work for Barcelona, didn't he? Yeah. Hmm. Um, <laughs> they did the they do these cut shots with like interviews with Figo now, and the only thing I could think of when I looked at him is that he is slowly morphing into Eugene Levy, you know uh, Johnny Rose from Shit's Creek. He's absolutely turning into him. Wow, it's unbelievable. And I mean, not to criticise Eugene Levy, but um, Luis Figo was a very handsome man. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure, I'm not sure about his hair these days. It looks like it's sort of glued on. Right. It may well be. Yeah. I mean, he's that sort of age. Well, what's this last question? Is it about yeah. Tony Adams? Oh no, we did have one on Tony Adams. Um We promised that we would cover Tony Adams, so we I did. feel like we need to go back for it. Uh Steve O Steve O underscore F, who's at Steve O underscore F. That's that's that must be amazing. You know? When your actual name is your username as well. 
you know, when it's free. Steve-O underscore F. I now baptize this child. Steve-O underscore F. And when he signed up for Twitter, amazingly, that was free for him as well. It's just such a cool thing. He said, will you both use your influence and get all gooners to vote for Tony Adams in Strictly Come Dancing? I will. I mean, have you seen his performance, Andrew? I saw like a little bit of it and then I just sort of, I kind of turned it off. Yeah. Because I'm, look, I love Tony Adams. I hope he wins it. I hope all the Arsenal fans out there vote for him. I know he did the, uh, he did the bit, you know, when he was, was it when he was uh, coaching at Granada? And he he did did a little pastiche of that in his dance. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I just can't watch things like Strictly Come Dancing. I just can't do it. Okay. I can. And I will be our Strictly Come Dancing correspondent. Okay, on the good, good. Extra. Um, what happens? Is it like one one couple gets uh, killed at the end of every episode? Yeah, they're executed live on national television. Super. Um, Maybe it's I brutal, actually, yeah. uh, and violent. But <laughs> not in the first week. In the ah. first week, there's an amnesty. Um, so Tony lives to fight another day or lives to dance another day. Mm-hmm. It, it was an extraordinary performance. For those who haven't seen it, he descended from the ceiling on a giant glittery cannon wearing <laughs> a <laughs> wearing a red kind of ballroom dancing suit with Adam 6 on the back and very subtle yeah all was, very subtle what could they be referring subtle. to there <laughs> and uh very sort of serious and then he proceeds to dance. I mean, to be honest, every week they're given a different dance to to do, like a foxtrot or a, you know, American smooth or a waltz. I couldn't tell you what Tony Adams was supposed to be doing. Um, that you know, the donkey chance that plagued him in his formative years as a footballer would have been far more appropriate at Elstree Studios on Saturday night. Uh, he is not a natural dancer. Okay, I think even he would admit. But. Uh, he danced to Go West and the they sang 1-0 to the Arsenal over the top of it. Oh, my goodness. It, it was genuinely extraordinary. He did the Granada coaching video thing. I mean, it was like he was like, I might get chucked off this after a week, so let's pull out all the stops. Um, I saw someone say, um, I apologise, I can't remember where I saw this, but are they going to do like the Steve Morrow next where they do the dirty dancing bit and lift... Tony Adams suggested that. Uh, I saw him himself write that on Instagram, say, Ah, that's probably where I got it. Steve Morrow. Okay, that's Um, probably where I saw it then, yeah. (laughs) I mean, let's hope so, but, uh, or not, if Tony's going to get injured. But yeah, anyway, it it was very entertaining. And obviously he's doing it, um, well, presumably, you know, partly for the money, but Mm. also to raise awareness for the work he does with his foundation. Mm -hmm. And uh, fair play to him for that. He's a man who's... I do think it takes a particular kind of courage for a guy who can't dance at all. A lot of the people who go on these shows, they're like, oh, I'm a comedian or I'm an actor. And then you find out that like until the age of 15, they were like top class. They're in ballet school or something. Yeah, basically. And he's he's a footballer who can't, you know, he's got two left feet effectively and he's giving it a go. And uh, yeah, I I respect that. You, You need to have some real humility to be prepared to... Uh, struggle like that in front of a, a national audience. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I will he win it? This will be the truest test of Arsenal supporters' power we've ever seen because he should have no chance at all. <laughs> so let's see how he gets on. Is it is it all public vote? 
It's half public vote, half a panel. Right. And the panel scored Tony comfortably bottom of the seemingly 50 dancers they had in the first week. Right. Um, so it's an uphill task. But, uh, yeah, if we know anything about the Arsenal fans, they will make their presence felt in the results. For sure. For sure. They'll be doxing the panel, you know, <laughs> <laughs> sending them DMs, sliding into their DMs going, you exactly. better give Tony full points here or we'll, we'll, we'll tell the world where you live, etc." Um, Okay, final one. I'm going to send you a little link here in the Zencaster chat. What's it? Okay. Uh, the question comes from Rian Vacha. And he right. says, do you know which Arsenal player this is on FIFA? And there is a screenshot of an Arsenal player. Okay. You've sent me it. You sent me it in the chat here. Okay, right. Um, do I know which player this is? Wow. <laughs> we will put a, a link to this tweet in the show notes. So you can have a look here and then... I think that's not an Arsenal player. I think that's a caveman. I mean, I genuinely don't know what or who that is supposed to be. Would you like me to tell you? Just, I'll describe what I can see for the listeners. Mm-hmm. It's a man. <laughs> um, he's got very thick-set eyebrows, a shaggy beard. Mm-hmm. Um. I couldn't pin down an ethnicity, to be honest with you. And he's got a short, cropped haircut. Mm -hmm. He's completely unrecognisable as any Arsenal player. So, by all means, tell me who that's supposed to be. That is supposed to be Gabriel. Big Gabby. Are you joking? No. Earlier, I sent you a link as well. There's a, yes. a video here that we, we're going to have a quick whiz through because this is FIFA 23 Arsenal Faces and it comes from a YouTube channel called FIFA 23 Faces. Um, okay. So let's open up that video. I'm going to uh, turn the volume down on it because um, it's, a, as you said at the start, it's a, a Dutch man talking. We don't need to hear the Dutch man talking, but um, if you want to go and have a look at his channel, it's called FIFA 23 Faces on, on YouTube. And we can skip very quickly through the faces of the Arsenal players okay. um, in FIFA 23. So it's, first up, Aaron Ramsdale. I mean, let's rate them out of 10. What would you say for Ramsdale? I mean, it's not... I mean, you could... It's him It's, it's clearly of. not... So, obviously, they have technology where they, like, scan people's faces, right? But I don't think they do that for everybody. Because um, mm. I noticed that, you know, uh, our, all, all the Ted Lasso guys are on FIFA, on the new yeah, FIFA. Yeah, yeah, so, I like, saw that. Brendan yeah. Hunt, you know, Arsenal fan Brendan Hunt is, is in FIFA. And my friend Brett is in FIFA as a player, which is mental. But... I'd, I'd give that Ramsdale a seven. I think it's it's recognisably him, yes, shall we say. Yes, I, I would agree. I'd say it's sort of more of a six. It's sort of like a prepubescent Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah. You know, it's, hasn't quite grown. Boy Aaron Ramsdale. Okay, now let's go on to the next one, which is Ben White. What is going on here? <laughs> I mean, this, this does not look anything at all like Ben White. Like, not even close to... He looks like a supervillain or he, something. He looks like... I don't know the name of the actor, but he was in a show called Ray Donovan. He's an English guy. I think he played Ray Donovan's brother. Ray Donovan 
brother. Yeah. He's in loads of yokes. You'll know him like loads of yokes. What's he's that in phrase? loads of things. If you just oh. say that, that's he's in loads of yokes. Um, uh, a yoke is a thing as well as a uh, an ecstasy uh, tablet. By the way, okay, there's just an Irish expression. It is a guy called Eddie Marson. Do you know Eddie that guy? Marson. You'll know him. If you just Google him, you'll see him and you go, oh, I've seen him in like, oh, that thing. That oh, thing. that guy. He looks like yeah. him, doesn't he? Little guy, yeah. He, well, he looks more like him than he looks like Ben White. I yeah. give you that. Ben White has got like in this a sort of, and I, I don't want Eddie to take any of this unflatteringly. Don't think he's, he's listening. <laughs> ben White's got sort of a mop of curly hair. Mm -hmm. which I'm not sure is accurate. FIFA appear convinced that all the Arsenal players have like lost their razors and developed these slightly unkempt beards, which again, hasn't happened. Mm. Um, it sort of looks like an Amish beard as well, doesn't it? The way it's sort yeah, of trimmed it's around the bottom. or, or... Ringlety beard. And it's grey. I don't know what to tell you, but it's not Ben White. No, I mean, I'm giving that like one out of ten because it's just yeah. not Ben White. Uh, William Saliba. <sighs> God, are graphics in games getting worse? I think I was going to say. It, you, you, I mean, I they think it should must be, be an perfect. image rights thing where it's like we can't use actual likenesses of people anymore Do because know, none of these people look right. It's like you know when they um, the the you witness a crime and you go to the police station and they get the the sketch artist out. It's like all the Arsenal players have been described to a police officer by a witness and then they've been digitized by somebody else. Saliba I mean 3 out of 10. I'd go a bit I'd go a bit higher. I'd go 4 just because like the facial hair is is and the hairstyle are sort of broadly accurate. Mm. But they've lengthened the nose considerably. Mm. Gabriel is a monster. Yeah, it's like Never mind hair transplant. This Gabriel's had a face transplant. Yeah, it's not him. Zero out of ten. Zinchenko, he looks like a uh, uh, some kind of street urchin. Yeah, Cockney urchin. That's yeah. what I was going to say. He and Ramsdale look like they're playing for the under nines. Yeah. So I'm giving that like three out of ten. Not very good. I'm going to say, yeah, four. Thomas Partey. Pa he got that actually is not too bad. He got the scan, probably. He got the, the face scan thing. Yeah, it seems like that. It yeah. seems like that. That's, They've got the head shape right. The hairstyle's pretty on point. That's like an eight out of ten. Yeah, that, I mean, it looks like him. Right. Granishaka. That's Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> I think there must be some sort of mistake here. I mean, it does. It, it's Shaka esque. I'd say seven. What do you think? Yeah, I give I give that a seven. But you know, this is sort of based on the the abominations that we've seen so far. Martin Odegaard. Again, Why do all they all look evil? I don't know. I was going to say he's obviously in the fucking pickpocketing crew with Zinchenko and Ramsdale. He looks like one of the elves from the new <gasps> Lord of the Rings thing. He does. Galadriel. You know I mean? Galadriel. Or yeah, whatever, Glad no. Galadriel's mate. Yeah, whoever he is. Oh yeah, uh, I love that. I love that show. I love how it's like um, we are the elves, and we are so erudite and educated, <laughs> and we speak like this. Yeah, and then you get the hobbits. Yeah, there's more to hobbits than this. Exactly. And then the, all the dwarves <laughs> are Scottish. Oh, you big bastard! What are you doing here? And then you know the the sort of slightly hunky 
vaguely hero guy's bit. He's a bit of a northern lad. I'm, yeah. I'll look after you, Galadriel. <laughs> Fucking. And then there was another one as well. Can't remember. Oh, yeah, the sort of wide boy guy was a bit Manchester, wasn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. they're not very Raw subtle with those accents. Raw brushstrokes. Yeah. Um, Martinelli. Martinelli, I don't think that's too bad in the scheme of things. I mean, it could be worse. We know how much worse it could be. I think that's pretty good, actually. I'm going to give that an A. I think they've done quite well with him. Mm, I give him a six and a half. I think it's it's a bit swollen and misshapen. It's kind like, of like, do you remember little Corinthian figures with the big heads? Yeah, remember, yeah, yeah. It's that version of Martinelli. Bukayo Saka, it's good. Not bad. Not bad. It's not bad. I'll give that a... Seven. Seven, yeah. It's not quite right. They haven't quite got the... No. step quite right. Gabriel Jesus. It looks more like... I mean, when you get the front on one, it looks yeah. pretty good. I'll give that an eight. That's, they've got his pout. Yeah. When you go to the side, not quite so much. Matt Turner. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. I, have the US national team got a deal with FIFA? Because he's benefited quite... He's done all right there. Yeah, yeah. That's a good solid seven. Or an eight. Yeah, an eight, maybe. I think Reese Nelson's Reece Nelson's good. really good, I think. Reese Nelson must have some shares in EA Sports as well, I reckon. You're going to have to put all the subs on if you want the team to look anything like the team. Rob Holding. I mean, I don't Ooh. know where to start with the hair. I mean, that's... I mean, they've been... The face is, again, too evil. Yeah. Too evil. He'll be happy with that hairline. He's the yeah. lookout guy, isn't he? He's the as the other guys are doing the pickpocketing. He's the lookout guy. Yeah, I'd give that five. It's not very good. Mohamed El Nenny. That's pretty good. Although I don't yeah. quite know. They haven't got the again. The hair shape isn't quite right, but it's not awful. I'd say it, that's it, difficult hair to do, though. In fact, yeah, it is. You can't make a special one for him. Seven, I'd say. Cedric Suarez. Again quite evil-looking eyebrows. They're yeah. all thinking about how to kill things. They really are. Um, it's it's okay. It's like a five or six. It's not... His face is rounder than that. Tommy Yasu, that's pretty terrible, I would mm -hmm. say. <laughs> that's pretty bad. That's like a two out of ten. That's like a generic face, isn't it? Like, create a player. Yeah. Option three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomiyasu. Yeah, exactly. Kieran Tierney. I mean, it's uh, not bad. No, that's pretty good. That's one of the best, actually. That's an eight or nine, fair play. Yeah. Um, safe to say Albert Sabi Laconga has not been laboured over, I no, think. No, I don't think so. I don't know who that is, but it's not Albert Sabi Laconga, that's for sure. No, I don't know if it's... I don't know who on earth that's supposed to be, yeah. but he doesn't play for Arsenal. Zero out of ten for that one. Fabio Vieira... What? Who is that? I think that looks more like Cedric Suarez than Cedric Suarez. Maybe. <laughs> but I mean, that's been some sort of error. Just um, that that was like, give us a guy with some hair and a little wispy beard. What? Yeah. It's like FIFA was coming out and they hadn't finished it and they could only describe down the phone to the coders what the players look like <laughs> like the internet was down and they, and they were like <laughs> they just rang up and they're like right there's a guy and he's thin and he's got a wispy beard and they were like w work with that okay and that's what they got for Fabio Vieira zero out of ten for that one Emma Smith Rowe what real, I mean real 
hue of Andre Arshavin. I, I was think. gonna say, yeah, he looks a bit like Arshavin, but he definitely doesn't really, definitely doesn't look like Emil Smith Rowe. Not in the least. No. Weirdly, Eddie and Ketia. It's not too bad. It's like boy Eddie and Ketia. Do you know what I mean? It's yes. like young Eddie. Yeah, young Eddie, and then Marquinhos, uh, generic Brazilian-ish looking guy. Yeah, I mean the thing is, they've had a real guess at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've got closer than some of the ones where they've really tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's probably like a Marquinhos somewhere in Brazil who is exactly that. They're yeah, just that's like- probably another Marquinhos. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Fascinating. Well, Amazing. that was quite good fun. It's well worth having a look at those. Uh, certainly take it into consideration before buying the game. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we will put links to the uh, the tweet with the question, and we'll put a link to the video in the show notes, so you can have a look along as we're uh, we're going over those. Um, in the absence of anything else that was going on, hopefully that will have kept people entertained as well. So. Uh, yes. There we go. Right, we will leave it there. I think for uh, for this particular. Oh man, one more thing. Oh what? This can't be real. What? I'm going to send you this link via WhatsApp. Okay. Um, if that's okay. Sure. It's a tweet from our from Dr. Rajpal Bra. You may well know for his work covering Arsenal injuries. This is apparently Mikel Arteta in FIFA 23. Okay, I'm just going to open this up now. <laughs> Can that be real? No, no that can't. No way. That's He's off- got huge hold shoulders like the honey monster. That's got to be someone taking the risk. I see that's come from the, the, the gunners. I'm just going to double check that this is real. <laughs> I mean, it looks more like Frank Lampard than it does Mikel Arteta. It doesn't look anything like Mikel Arteta. I saw. I desperately hope that is real because if so, that's incredibly funny. Oh my god, that's ridiculous! <laughs> and the thing is, Mikel Arteta looks like he's computer graphic generated anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, perfect Lego hair. Yeah, you should be able so, to I replicate mean- him perfectly. That, I mean, that can't be real. Surely not. Surely not. Wow. Maybe we have got to buy the game. I mean, they've got out. him wearing a fucking grey jumper with a shirt and tie. He looks like the honey monster in a suit. It's mental. Oh. <laughs> like you say, I mean, we've got PlayStation 5 now, Xbox. What's, What's the going new on? Xbox? Sensible soccer was more accurate in some ways. Wow. Unbelievable. Anyway, we'll put links to all this in the uh, the show notes. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, get yourselves ready for October. There's going to be podcasts aplenty to get your teeth and your ears into, and hopefully uh, plenty of good results and performances for Arsenal. We'll catch you a bit later in the week. Uh, for now, we'll leave it there, and we will catch you on the next one. Happy birthday, Andrew. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.